0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and inspires you and helps you on your journey to discover and follow the will of God. The outline of this message, speaker, message title, and series can be found in the show notes or the details page. Be sure to check us out on Facebook or on our church website at Bethlehem505.com. And now, here is the message. All right, get your Bibles out and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Continue our 3.16 series. We have two more uh, to go after today. We have Daniel 3 and we have uh, Galatians 3 and we'll finish up our our series. It's been interesting. We've covered a variety, and I mean a variety of different subjects. Colossians 3.16, a proper fill-up. A teacher was giving a lesson on the circulation of blood. Trying to make the matter a little clearer and more understandable to her students, she said, now class, if I stood on my head, the blood, as you know, would run into it and I would turn red in the face. They all kind of nodded their heads in agreement. She goes, so I've got a question. Question then why is it that when I am standing upright in the ordinary position, the blood does not run into my feet? And in the pause as the students pondered that, one little boy spoke up and says, because your feet ain't empty. Took a while for some of you, didn't it? (laughs) Now, we could talk at this point about quick thinking, because I think the boy could kind of come up with that pretty quick, or about respect for authority, maybe, or even about the crime of using the word ain't. <laughs> we could even consider the importance of blood for life and for salvation. But instead of all those directions we could go with that story, I want us to think about what is filling us up. What is filling us? you and me up, specifically in two areas of our life. Colossians 3 is basically about how we ought to live as followers of Jesus. And there are some characteristics we find in chapter 3 of the followers of Jesus. Verses 5 through 10 talk about some things we should get rid of in our lives. And if if you're there in chapter 3, look down through there, verse 5 through uh, 10 things we ought to put to death in our life, get rid of them. Then verse 12 through 17 talk about things that should be part of our lives if we're following Christ. And it's in that section of talking about things that ought to fill my life and your life that we find verse 16. Colossians 3.16 points toward two areas of our life, but in the process it deals with some very key aspects of of the Christian life, I want you to get your bolts in out. Let's do this again, like we did last Sunday. Front page is uh, Colossians three sixteen. I want us to read this together, as we did last week. All right, count of three. Join me. One, two, three. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms. Hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So I ask you the question what are you full of? What are you full of? Because let's face it, we're all full of something. But first of all, this verse calls us to fill our heart. To fill our heart. Now we're not necessarily talking here about that particular body organ that pumps blood through our bodies. In the Bible, when you see that word heart, it sometimes represents uh, our mind. Sometimes it's referring to our emotions. Sometimes it refers to our will. But most of the time when the Bible uses the word heart, it's referring to our whole inner being, what we are, who we are. And it matters what we are on the inside because What's on the inside affects what comes out in our life. So God calls us to fill our heart, first of all, with the word of Christ. God calls us to fill our heart with the word of Christ. In other words, the gospel message, biblical truth. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it means, number one, we let it find a home in us. We let the Word of Christ find a home inside of us and inside of our life. In other words, the Word of Christ comes into our life and becomes part of who we are. So let me ask you a few questions. How much of the Bible lives in you? How much of those 66 books (laughs) live in you? Well, let's ask it this way. How well do you know its message and its facts and its people and its places and its history and its commands and its promises? How well do you know those things? How would you do if, before we let you leave this morning, we passed around a hundred question quiz on the Bible? How would you do? Are you reading it at home? Are you participating in our Bible classes? Are you pondering the Bible? Are you memorizing verses from it? In other words, is the word of Christ richly dwelling in your life? The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I read an article several years ago that I filed, and I think it's outstanding, a little bit long. Carolyn Keynes wrote this and entitled it, To Be... Educated. Now follow me all the way through this. She makes some excellent points. To be educated, she writes, "If I if I can learn my ABCs, can read 600 words per minute, and can write the perfect with with perfect penmanship, but have not been shown how to communicate with the designer of all languages, I have not been educated." If I can deliver an eloquent speech and persuade you with my stunning logic, but have not been instructed in God's wisdom, I have not been educated. If I have read Shakespeare and John Locke and can discuss their writings with keen insight, but have not read the greatest of all books, the Bible, and have no knowledge of its personal importance, I have not been educated. I have memorized addition facts and multiplication tables and chemical formulas, but have never been disciplined to hide God's word in my heart, I have not been educated. If I can explain the law of gravity and Einstein's theory of relativity, but have never been instructed in the unchangeable laws of the one who orders our universe, I have not been educated. If I can recite the Gettysburg Address and the preamble of the Constitution but have not been informed of the hand of God in the history of our country, I have not been educated. If I can play the piano, the violin, six other instruments, and can write music that moves men to tears but have not been taught to listen to the director of the universe and worship him, I have not been educated. If I can run cross country races, star in basketball, and do a hundred push ups without stopping, but have never been shown how to bend my spirit to God's will, I have not been educated. If I graduate from high school with a perfect 4.0 and am accepted at the best university with a full scholarship, but have not been guided into a career of God's choosing for me, I have not been educated. If I, if I have become a good citizen voting at each election and fighting for what is moral and right, but have not been told of the sinfulness of man and his hopelessness without Christ, I have not been educated. And finally, she concludes this way. However, if one day I see the world as God sees it and come to know him, whom to know is et- life eternal and glorify God by fulfilling his purpose for me, then then I have been educated. So I ask you the obvious question this morning. Have you been educated? Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, when we read and learn and internalize the Bible, we receive wisdom and guidance and encouragement and correction and warning and hope and light and life. But we miss all those blessings if we ignore the words of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But there's more. And this is so very important. Filling our heart with the word of Christ also means we let it affect everything in our life. We let it affect everything in our life. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word literally has the idea of in full measure. Let the word of Christ fill your life to full measure. In other words, the word of Christ in us should affect every part of our life. Our thoughts, our attitudes, our relationships, our work, our values, our civil decisions, our choices. Everything. But too often, there is a dangerous disconnect between beliefs and actions. And you'll hear people make comments like, well, I know the Bible says blank about sexual sin, but... Or I know what the Bible says about forgiving others, but that person really, really hurt me. See, when the Bible richly dwells within us, it will automatically disallow certain behaviors in our life. (laughs) When we let the word of Christ dwell richly within us, it puts the policeman inside us and governs our life from the inside. I like how Psalm 119, it's all about the word of God through those 176 verses. I like what it says in verses 9 through 11. Ask the question, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? (laughs) Here's how, by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, God's word is there to protect us. And at times, that means it gets us to alter the course of our life. It redirects us. And we're not to argue back when it does. (laughs) Read a story about an incident years ago. A sea captain was awakened in the middle of the night by a subordinate who told him, Sir, there are bright lights ahead. It could possibly be a ship. The naval captain radioed the oncoming vessel and said, Alter your course 10 degrees. A voice came back. Alter your course 10 degrees. (laughs) The sea captain radioed, This is Rear Admiral Faulkner of the United States Navy. Alter your course 10 degrees. A voice came back, this is seaman 4th Class Richards of the U.S. Coast Guard. Alter your course 10 degrees. The enraged sea captain then sternly announced, this is a battleship. Alter your course 10 degrees. And the young man's voice came back again and says, I'm a lighthouse. Alter your course 10 degrees. You see, the young man in the lighthouse was trying to protect the battleship. You know, God speaks to us from his unmoving lighthouse and says, for your sake, alter your course when I say to alter your course. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is the word of Christ dwelling and guiding your heart. But also, God calls us to fill our heart with something else. And this almost sounds unrelated, but it's in the verse in the last part. God calls us to fill our heart with gratitude. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another, and we'll come back to that with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we'll come back to that. But notice this, with gratitude in your hearts to God. See, this is a natural result of having God's word dwelling in us because we are well aware of all God has done for us. If God's word lives in our heart, we're going to be thankful people. Charles Edward Jefferson said, gratitude is born in hearts that take time to count up past mercies. Do you realize how often in the book of Psalms it tells us to give thanks? (laughs) I want you to look at Psalm 107.1 and We'll leave it up here for a minute because it says this a lot in Scripture. Psalm 107.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Well, guess what Psalm 118.1 says. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 118.29 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. 136.1. Over and over in the Psalms, it keeps telling us, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. (coughs) See, gratitude... Becomes part of our natural response to God. If you look back in Colossians in chapter 2, in verse 6 and 7, it says this: So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. In other words, thankfulness, if it's in our heart, just kind of wells up and flows out naturally. Someone said, it isn't what is in your pocket that makes you thankful, but what you have in your heart. See, it does not matter how much or how little we have of the world's possessions. That has nothing to do with our gratitude. It's what's in our heart that governs our gratitude. So to slightly alter a popular TV commercial, I ask you the question, what's in your heart? <laughs> See, what's in your heart matters a whole lot more than what's in your Wallet. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with gratitude in your hearts toward God. You see, if our heart is filled with the right things, our mouth will be as well. You follow the procession here, progression? So, our main point, too, is we not only fill our heart, but we fill our mouth. What do we fill our mouth with? With songs. For God. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. You see, the gratitude grows into singing, it's a natural reaction. So it does not say in the text, Now sing if you have great musical talent, or sing if you like that particular music. It says, Sing. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalm 95, 1 and 2 makes this connection between gratitude and joy and singing. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. Gratitude plus joy equals singing, whether we're very good at it or not. Two guidelines as we try to worship God with songs. Number one, let's always remember God is the focus, not us. God is the focus, not us. Last phrase says, with gratitude in your hearts to God, not to yourself. See, we tend to forget this part that God is the focus, not us. Read about a boss who was very frustrated with his brand new secretary in the office. You know what she did wrong? And she's the secretary, keep in mind. She ignored the telephone when it rang. (laughs) All right, he says, ma'am, you've got to answer the phone. She goes, all right. She goes, but it seems so silly because nine times out of 10, it's for you. I think in the same way, we tend to forget who church music is for. God is the one we are singing for, not ourselves. God is the one we are trying to please, not ourselves. Oh, we may be pleased, but that's not the ultimate goal. See, we should please Him with what we sing. In other words, the content, the words. We should please Him with our heart and attitude as we sing. We should please him with the effort we put forth in singing. Let me ask you a probing question. How pleased was God with your heart over the last 30 minutes? When God is our focus, the other details of singing fade into the background. Howard Brammer, preacher I know, wrote or spoke at a Convention back in 2005, he said it doesn't matter whether musical whether the musical style is Bach or Gaither, Fanny Crosby or Stephen Curtis Chapman. It doesn't matter whether you call it contemporary, traditional, blended, bridge, or cross generational. If the focus is on the musicians, the style, and self, call it what you wish. It's not praise and it's not worship. Randall Harris, writing in the Restoration Herald several years ago, said this, and all of us need this reminder from time to time. He goes, I want to quickly point out that the most mature Christians don't care what the worship style is. You sing Stamps Baxter songs, and they worship. You do high church where everything is quiet and solemn, and they worship. You put them in a black congregation, which works out of its rich spiritual tradition, and they worship. They worship. You put them in a country church and they worship. You put them in a cathedral with hymns that were written 250 years ago and they worship because their eyes are so fixed on the goal and object of their worship, Jesus Christ, that the style doesn't matter. Amen, 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 amen. Is God your focus when you worship? Are you a mature Christian, according to Randall Harris' definition? But it is the second guideline we have to follow when it comes to our songs for God, and that's the message is the focus, not the style. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Something's very clear from this statement. I missed this for a long time. Even in the early, early days of the church, almost 2,000 years ago, they used different styles of music to praise God. And I think the Holy Spirit in this passage is making sure that gets mentioned so we would see that variety is good and healthy. And God also knew that musical styles would continually change through the years and that those psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs would all vary through the years and through the centuries. I look at those three things that are listed there, and that's so striking. Psalms, that's obvious. They were actually singing word for word out of the Psalms. And then through the centuries, over the last 3,000 years, those Psalms would take different forms musically, but the words were the Psalms. (laughs) Now, these other two are different in the sense that they're written by people out of their relationship with God. They're not straight from the Psalms. Hymns, spiritual songs. I looked up that word that's translated hymns into Greek and it simply meant sacred song, song of praise addressed to God. It's not necessarily what we call hymns today because what we call hymns today were mostly the 1700s, 1800s was when those started. So there's been variations of what's been called a hymn or sacred song over the last 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years. Spiritual songs, simply spontaneous songs out of someone's heart to God. But the point is the message is what matters. And our heart is what matters. Our heart has to focus on what these songs say. For instance, this morning, we began and ended our songs of praise this morning focusing on the astounding biblical truth of God's love. The first song was, said, uh, basically to us that God's love is never going to let us go. (laughs) Wherever we've been, whatever we've done, God's love will never let us go. We can come as we are. His love can make us new again. And so we say at the end of our song service, before communion, oh, how he loves you and me. Jesus to Calvary did go. That's the same message. And then in between those songs, we had reminders, two reminders of how great and eternal God is. We are a moment, we told God, with Moses in Psalm 90. (laughs) We are a moment. You are forever. Lord of the ages. God before time. We are a vapor. You're eternal. James 4. Every human being, we would be better off if we started every day and we said to God, We are a moment, you are forever. Lord of the ages, God before time, I'm limited, God, and you are not. We moved on to Revelation song, straight out of Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5. I've said often times that I like reading those songs in, in Revelation. Uh, whether it's chapter 15, chapter 4, chapter 5, there's several songs that are listed. Because it appears that these are songs we're going to sing in heaven, so I'd like to learn them now. (laughs) So I'm ready then. We sang one of those songs this morning. And then we concluded with glorify thy name. See, the message is the focus. But when the style becomes our primary focus, we show that we care very little about the message. Let's fill our mouth with songs. For God. But let's fill our mouth also with something else, with words for others. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you, here it is, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Here's a caution. I'm all for learning all the Bible we can, memorizing as much as we can. But we are not to gain Bible knowledge just so we can win arguments or gain points or so we can look good in Sunday school class and not embarrass ourselves. (laughs) We are to do something with the word of Christ that dwells in us. And there's two things in this verse we're told to do. We're to teach each other. This is not just speaking to people like me or Sunday school teachers. (laughs) He says, as you teach and admonish one another. I've spoken to every Christian. So you may never stand in front of a class and explain Bible verses to people, but every follower of Jesus has the obligation and privilege of passing on what we know uh, to other individuals. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach one another. Second Timothy, Paul, as an aging minister, was writing to a young minister named Timothy. And in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, And the things you have heard me say, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So Paul says, I've taught you, Timothy. Now you teach this other person so that that person can teach another person so that that person can teach another person. And then that person will teach another person. Passing on the good news. Colossians 3.16 says that's the job of every person who follows Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach one another. 1 Peter three verse fifteen says we should always be prepared. It says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. See, that's why we have classes. That's why we have discussions. That's why we have places where we can ask questions and teach each other. We need to do that with wisdom, verse 16 says. But then the trickier one. (laughs) Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. That's your number two. That's the other thing we're to do with the word of Christ in our mouth. The Greek word that's translated there, has a more negative aspect to it. It's more the idea of warning and correcting than just teaching with information. I want you to go over with me to 2 Timothy. This was one of our 316 passages a few weeks ago. 2 Timothy 3.16. And we're going to read on a little bit further. reminds us what the purpose of the Word of God is. All right? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, there it is. In training and righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, and notice why correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. God did not give us the Bible so we could say, What a nice book! God did not give us the Bible so we could say, look how much of it I've learned. He intended for it to help shape our lives. That was our point one, point A, sub point two above. (laughs) So you and I are to lovingly, patiently, and wisely help keep each other on track. That's teaching and admonishing one another. That's love. That's mutual support. That's Colossians 3.16. That's God's will for us that you and I teach and admonish one another, and the admonish part is never comfortable, but it's very important. Paul gave us a guiding example of how to do that and how not to do that in Acts chapter 20. Paul was meeting with some elders uh, from the church at Ephesus at a neutral location, and he knows it's probably the last time he's ever going to see them, so he's given all these last-time instructions. And here's one of the things he, he, he refers to as he talks about how he has taught them. He says, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you. And that's the same word as admonish. I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Paul's saying, I've warned you, I've admonished you. But notice he says, I've done it with tears. That's the key. He hated to say it, but he had to. Folks, there's a big difference between telling someone off and giving biblical admonition. There's a big difference between flaunting our Bible knowledge and sharing it humbly, heart to heart. There's a big difference between giving someone a piece of our mind and giving them the Word of God from a loving heart with tears. Paul showed how it was done. He says, I've taught you, I've, warned, I've admonished you. I didn't like doing it. I did it with tears, but I did it because I cared. So what's the goal of us teaching and admonishing each other? It's completeness. It's maturity as Jesus' followers. Back in Colossians 1, verse 27 and 28, it says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, and here it is, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that phrase too, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. So I ask you this morning, are you learning? Are you growing? Are you maturing? And how about this one? Are you... Closer to God than you were six weeks ago. Do you have more Bible knowledge? Do you know God better than you did six months ago? You see, it all begins with our heart. It all begins with our heart and where our heart is. Fascinating verse in Proverbs 4, when it starts talking about committing all all these parts, our feet, hands, every part of our being, our eyes to God. It says this in Proverbs 4:23, "Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it." See, God knows our heart. God wants to live in our heart. God wants His word in our heart. And He offers to give us a clean heart when we've dirtied it up. We ask the question at the bottom of your outline. What's filling you up? See, we put, as, as Americans, this is kind of an advantage and a disadvantage, of the world even. with, We have so much information at our disposal anymore. We fill our minds, our thoughts, our vision with so many different things now. We can cram our brains full of things, good, bad, and in between. So we have to ask the question, what's filling you up? What is filling you up? Well, hopefully our heart is being filled with the word of Christ and with gratitude. And hopefully our mouth is being filled with songs for God and with words for others. Because then we can all stay on the same track or get on the right track. And we can become what God created us to be. So we offer this time, this song, as a time of thoughtful self-analysis and self-evaluation and commitment, invitation, decision, whatever you want to call it. A time where as we sing this song, as we we turn our eyes toward Jesus, we say, God, what do you want to fill me up with? And what do you need to get out of the way in my life and my mind and my heart and my thinking to uh, put in there what you want? So let's each ask what that is this morning. What needs to go in? What needs to come out? So that we're filled with the things God wants us filled with. If you need to come and confess your faith in Jesus, that what he did on the cross and in his resurrection can save you from your sins. You can confess that and then say, I want to follow him, make him my Lord. That's repentance. And I'm going to prove that. I'm going to show that. I'm going to demonstrate that by burying my old life in the water grave of baptism. Let's let him fill our heart. Let's let him fill our life and amazing things will happen. Thank you for listening to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think others can benefit from it, we encourage you to share it on social media, subscribe to our podcast, or leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform you use. You can also connect with us online at Bethlehem505.org or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time as we each seek to understand God's Word and follow His Son, Jesus Christ.